This podcast contains strong language, details of drug use, violence, recounting of traumatic events and themes which listeners may find upsetting. Welcome back to the Recovery Hub podcast with me, your host, Caitlin. And today we have Aid the Blade in the cockpit with us to share his story of fight or flight with alcohol. In case you guys were wondering why we've made so many flight puns today, it's because Aid was a cabin service manager for a major airline. Aid's story was a turbulent one. He's propelled himself into recovery for the last 14 years and is a big inspiration. I hope you guys enjoy. So today I'm here with Adrian. Aid. Pleased to meet you. Pleasure to meet you too. Yeah, I'm Adrian. Um... Call me Aid. Uh, everybody else does. Well, worse names than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was 14 years last October. That's so, amazing. Yeah, in recovery. Um, hasn't been an easy journey, I will say that. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm originally from uh, the West Midlands, Wolverhampton. I'm a black country boy, not a brummie. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody has to be from there. Um I'm one of two siblings, I'm well, the youngest of two siblings, my brother. Um, he's seven years older than me. Um, we had quite a good childhood. Uh, I, I can't ever knock my childhood. Um, apart from my parents got divorced when I was five, which back in the early 70s was very... Um, I was probably the only kid in junior school whose parents were divorced. I know if it was the other way around now, you know, if they were married and I was in junior, you'd be, yeah. you'd be the odd one out. <laughs> and I always felt embarrassed about that. Um, but my mother got into a relationship, um, split with my father and whatever. And I had a very, I, uh, well, I adopted a very good stepfather as well, you know. Yeah. So I was loved and I was loved by my father, me, my stepfather, my mother, and, and still am today. Um, although I lost my father just over 12 months ago, my own natural father. Mm. Um, right, right from a kid, um, my family, I've got quite a, a huge extended family. Um, they were always party animals, uh, got together at Christmas, you know, weddings, um, birthdays. Any excuse, in it? Any excuse yeah. and whatever. Um we was always brought up, me and my cousins, my brother, um, you know, lots of cousins, um, to have manners and, uh, and to be respectful to our grown-ups and whatever. But they never used to see us in the back kitchen trying the booze, <laughs> <laughs> sipping the booze. And there was one of my cousins, Gary. Um, he was a couple of years younger than me. And me and him, we used to go through, um, should we say, the optics in the back kitchen while the grown-ups weren't looking. Unfortunately, Gary is no longer with us. He, mm. Alcoholism killed him um, eventually. Um, he had done rehab and wherever, but he just, he could not get it, yeah. uh, bless him. Um, he got a heart condition as well, um, which he'd had been diagnosed in his early 20s. Um, and then drinking on top of that. And, uh, well, he was an alcoholic, but he was in denial. Um, God rest him. Yeah. Um, Thankfully, uh, you know, um, I'm here today to carry the message because it's, uh, it hasn't always been easy. Um, 
I left school, oh, sorry, just before I left school, I went to a, a comprehensive in Wolverhampton, uh, Wensfield Eye, and uh, three and a half thousand pupils there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it was a, a rough school. But a good school, in a way. Um, yeah, uh, we used to skive off, we used to do this. Uh, in them days, we had corporal punishment, you got the cane and, and whatever. Um, but... We had a good set of teachers, to be honest, uh, a good down-to-earth set of teachers who were streetwise, um, uh, would treat us like adults often and whatever. They'd turn a blind eye when you were smoking behind the bike shed, would shout over the bike shed, you know, I know what you're doing, lads and girls, you know, <laughs> put that out, I'm coming. Of course, we used to laugh, didn't we? We used to go, well, how do you know we're smoking? Well, the smoke and, and all the nubbins you used to leave on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> But saying that, at 15 years of age, I was young, uh, obviously young, dark-haired. I had thick dark hair. Uh, I was quite dark-skinned. It's like a little Italian. <laughs> and I had a little faint moustache. And I was the one who always could get served in the shops, the corner shops, um, with cigarettes. No ID in those days. Yeah. And... Um, I remember going in, we were skiving off one afternoon and I remember going in the shop, taking my school blazer off and, and going in and buying the 10 JPS for the other kids that were skiving with me. And I remember seeing this bottle of brandy and it was, I think it was £1.75 for an half bottle of brandy, cheap. Very cheap. Yeah, <laughs> but of course I'm going back in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's probably the equivalent of a, eight quid nowadays. Yeah. And I remember just thinking to myself, oh, Let's see whether I can get served for that. Yeah, I got served. They sold it me. But you know, I never put it in my, um, never shared it with the other kids. I put that in my inside pocket. Yeah. And I took that home and I ate that under the wardrobe at home and um, nipped it every night. I had a nip. It's mad that, isn't it? Yeah. The way, like, you've already had the behaviours. Yeah, oh, I yeah. I was the same when I was younger. Like, I like, I always knew I liked it a bit too much than I should have or more than me mates and it was always like an unspoken secret for me yeah myself but. oh yeah and I hit that and do you know what I'll, I look back now and the laughable thing is I disposed of the bottle somewhere else not at home isn't that yeah, yeah. that is crazy yeah so, 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 so it was there um, it's, it's like when it, when I was a child you know really young six or seven back in late 60s, early 70s, shall we say, um, a lot of parents would keep a bottle of whiskey in the house and that was to put in the tea of the morning to keep you warm <laughs> or you went out. And we used to have it. I mean, God, parents would get sent to hell now for, for that. Yeah. It was like a remedy back then, yeah, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it? it was. It was a remedy. Yeah. And my mother would put a drop of scotch in our uh, whiskey, in our uh, tea. A little hot toddy when yeah, you were sitting there. before you went to, off to school. yeah. And bugger me, I'd always, I'd always crave more. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it was there. Yeah. It was there. And anyway, I'll skip a few years. I, I left school. I didn't really bother with qualifications or nothing. I, I wasn't, wasn't stupid. Um, I could have done well. Yeah. I just, I wanted to leave. I wanted didn't to, interest you? No, it didn't interest me. I left school and I trained to become an apprentice barber. Uh, well, I was an apprentice barber. I was training. Not something I really wanted to do, but I got good at it. It was a job, it was it was there. Yeah. And I did that for years. Um until I come to about nineteen or twenty. Um 
I'd skip, I'd through the nest. I'd uh, I'd bought my own little house then, um, a little two up, two down. You know, mortgaged up to the hills. I think it was about sixteen thousand quid. The house, <laughs> which again, then them days was you know a bit of money. Yeah. But uh, you know, I earned enough to pay him a, a little mortgage. And uh, I'd I flew the nest. And I was just getting bored looking at the back of people's heads and whatever. But going back, going back a little bit, I drove, I, you know, I passed my driving test at 17 and whatever. And I'd go out nightclubbing, 17, 18, 19 and whatever. Um, and I was the one who always wanted the party to continue. You go back to somebody's house or, or some, you know, after the nightclub. Yeah. And you'd wake up on the floor in the morning and people would be clearing up, you know, the cans after a party, cans, bottles, whatever, and drinking tea and coffee and eating toast. Not me. <laughs> I'd be drinking what was left over. So that is so me. Yeah. yeah. And you can't comprehend yeah. why the hell are these not having a little hair of the dog or yeah. whatever? I'd try and pull people into it and they go, oh, no, thanks. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> More for me then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'd still, you know... Um, Oh, come on, let's carry on. I'll try and pull other people into it. Anyway, like I say, I got to 19, 20, 19, 20 and I was bored. And um, I went to a party and I got a few friends who um, worked for different airlines. They were crew for other airlines. Yeah. And I thought, I've always wanted to do that job. I've always wanted to be a steward and whatever. And... Um, I was in this room and there was two, there weren't friends, there were just people that were there who were, one worked for um, one chair, charter airline, the other one worked for another charter airline. And I was intrigued about the job and they were like, mm, I suppose looking down the nose at me, I was the commonest muck Wolverhampton boy, you've got no chance. And I said, you know, I'm going to apply for a job with British Airways. <laughs> and they all burst out laughing, they went, you've got no chance. And I went home when I was bloody fuming. I was like, oh. So I sent off a CV, bloody hell. Within two weeks, I got called to do a test. I did the test. Thought, oh, I won't pass that. Did that. Got called for a, a, a massive group interview. There was uh, 150 people in a room. And five of us got called out after half a day. And I thought, oh, that's us five who haven't got through. And us five had got through to a final interview. Two weeks later, I had the final interview, two on to one. Got the job, pending training. Wow. Went to London for six weeks, did the training, passed with flying colours. Got based at Heathrow on 747s jumbo jets. Uh, couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. <sighs> and my very, very first trip, I was a baby junior, 20 years of age, um, was Seattle, two nights off in Seattle. And the crew, I think the youngest were above me, was about in the 30s. So they've been flying quite a few years. And uh, we get there and goes out and we used to take the miniatures off the aircraft, you know, because yeah. they were giving away complimentary anyway. So we, we used to take them. We wasn't supposed to, but we did. And um, I remember having a little room party before we went out. Just somebody's one of the hotel rooms under back. I sat there and I'm thinking I'm being paid for this. I'm getting drunk. It's costing me nothing, apart from when I go out, obviously. 
and it took me back to that back kitchen when I was a child. Yeah. Of me and my cousin going in the back kitchen where the grown-ups had put all the booze and sneaking everything. But I'm thinking, I haven't got to sneak it now, I can drink it. Yeah. Uh, you know. I'll skip a few years. I, I did very well at work. I got promoted uh, to personal in charge of a cabin because you had first-class yeah. business, class economy. Um, and then like latter years, I got uh, promoted to completely in charge on the Jumbo Jet Cabin Service Director. Um, but I, th I know then I was going away to all these exotic places and I was spending more and more time on my own. I wasn't going out partying. I was drinking in my room. I was fetching the booze off. Um, I was going home on my days off, three, four days off at home, back in Wolverhampton where I was for, lived then. And I'd have my duty free and I'd have the miniatures I'd taken off the aircraft and they was gone within 24 hours and three days. So I'd be down the local spa or, or Summerfield as it was then or Quick Save, topping up. Did you know eh, that it was a problem then? I did, but I was in denial of it. Yeah. It was the jet lag. It was the tiredness of the job. Yeah. It wasn't my fault. No, it never it is, is it? It wasn't my fault? fault, no. If you did what I did and, and jet lagged and, you know, you go to Japan and you've got nine hours, um, they're nine hours ahead or eight hours ahead. Yeah. You come home three or four days off and then you go to LA and they're eight hours behind. Yeah, it was bad. It was, but I would blame that. Oh, I don't have a problem. It's just me chilling out and whatever. Yeah. Um, and this went on for quite a few years, many, many years. Um, so the fact I wasn't going out at all, um, I go away on a trip, took a couple of nights off in different places, and I'd even lie to the crew. They'd go, because oh, yeah. we were with different crews all the while. There was 7,000 of us, so you were yeah. with different crews all the while, which was good for me because nobody got to really know you. Yeah. And... Oh, I'm doing an open university course. Please do not disturb me for a couple of days. I'll be down for pickup when we're leaving the hotel. <laughs> and there'll be bottles and miniatures everywhere. But I'd just leave 12 hours before I was back on duty. Yeah. I probably still stank. I probably still was under the influence. And I, I, I did the job. Years went on, and then the sickness started to come in, and having time off sick. I'd phone in. I think I had about 12 grandmothers who died. <laughs> I'd use all the excuses under the sea. The company was that big then. Uh, there was no real um, system. And you speak to different people on the phone all the while in, in scheduling. And you say, oh, my grandmother's ill. And whatever. Well, I buried one last week. Didn't, <laughs> you know. I'd use all them excuses. Never say, I'm ill. Yeah. Um... Anything, any, anything to gain Take the pity. heat off you Take as well. Take the heat off me. Um, occasionally I would say I got the flu. Or, or, oh, there was one. I, I was driving to work once down the M40. Right. And um, I suddenly thought, oh, I don't want to go tonight. It was a Hong Kong trip, like three nights off. I don't want to go. Turn around on the M40. Uh, mobile phones hadn't long been out there and I get my mobile phone out and I phone scheduling and I said, 
Someone's just run into me on the motorway. Oh. oh, I'm in a terrible mess. I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. You go home. You'll be in shock. I drove back home and there was the bottle. You feed off the sympathy though, don't you? Because yeah. as you're telling the lie and as they're giving you sympathy, I you have the big grin on your face and you, it justifies you. Oh, I'll have to drink even more now because they feel really sorry for me. Yeah. Like it, it feeds the alcoholism I, I found when I've used to lie all the time and when people would give me sympathy, I'd be like, ooh, that just gives me the go-ahead even more now. Yeah. Oh, it's just unreal. Yeah. Anyway, I got a few more years. Um, I'd moved house by then. I'd got a, a nice home, modest home. Uh, I was living on my own. I'd got fantastic neighbours, absolutely brilliant. I'd got a nice car, a nice home. Spencer in the local pub or drinking at home. And my neighbours knew. Yeah. They knew I had a problem and wherever. Anyway, this one morning I woke up in bed. Um, one of my neighbours, Jean, she was like getting on a bit, shall we say. Lovely, lovely lady. Was sitting in a chair at the side of my bed. I went, what the hell are you doing here? She went, don't you remember anything about last night? Oh, that feeling of yeah. impending doom, that yeah. dread. And I, I bet, yeah. Why? She said, you came up the drive in your car, pranged into your garage door. Didn't smash it, but just, ooh, you know, the metal garage doors. Yeah. And we heard it. She said, you was killed over, over your steering wheel. Oh, God. Uh, what I could have done, I could have killed somebody, yeah. whatever. I'd only come from the local pub, but in the car. She says, we got you inside. She says, you'd wet yourself. Oh. She says, and we cleaned you up. She says, and we've, we've done it. Me and Colin, her husband, we've done a duty to make sure that you don't choke on your own vomit. And I went, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm what else is, it's unusual for me. She says, no, it's not unusual for you. Oh. She says, it's a regular occurrence. She says, we've noticed you are going downhill. We can see it in you. She said, this afternoon, she says, my brother's coming round to visit me. She said, I'd like you to come round and meet him. And I went, Why? I'd just like you to talk to my brother. Right, okay. Went round us. I felt like, oh, awful. I went round and she introduced me, introduced me to this guy. His name was Colin. She says, this is my brother. She says, I'll leave you alone to talk. And he says, oh, he says, I'm Colin. He says, I'm an alcoholic. He says, I'm in recovery. He says, I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, what are you telling me for? Yeah. He said, I think you have a problem. He says, I'm not going to tell you you are. You, you, you're an alcoholic. He says, but I think you have a problem from what Jean's told me, my sister. He says, I'm looking at the state of where I can smell. Now. Oh. He says, why don't you come to a meeting with me tomorrow morning? Anyway, I went. You actually went? Yeah, I went. I went. It was in Wolverhampton, uh, in the central Wolverhampton. It was, uh, I think it was 9.30 in the morning. The, the different part times of the day. Yeah. yeah. And I went, and there was all different different people there. I expected string to be holding people's trousers up or the <laughs> bottle being passed around the room. You know, it was just... I remember there was this lady sat there, and she looked, what I would say, a doctor's receptionist type, glasses, well-to-do, dressed beautiful, I'd say, in the 60s. And she shared, and she says, my name is, I can't even remember her name. 
my name is. And she was on about when she used to sit in the park and when uh, her husband used to come home and she'd uh, messed herself and how she got suspended from work the once and uh, how her husband and her kids had to say to her in the end, out, we've had enough of you. Um, how she had a fight once outside a social club with another woman. Wow. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this woman's just saying this to make me feel good. There's no way she was ever an alcoholic. She's been pulled... I thought she was like a member of staff or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> but it was real. It was real. Um, and I started to go regular. I, 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 was no, I was still drinking. I was still working. I was still drinking and, uh, and you know... Um, I think I was going to put people off, get people off my back. Yeah. Because my mother had got wind of it there and she was like, yeah, keep going to these meetings. I've been told about that they're good. I'm like, well, good. a load of rubbish. Really? You just going to pacify people, uh, Yeah, I says, really, I says, I haven't got the problems. I've got some of them there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and whatever. Which we know are the yets. Yeah. Anyway, the sickness started at work again and I was off and off and off and off and off. And I went to a meeting one Saturday night and it was in Bridge North in Shropshire. And there was a young lady there and uh, she took me to one side and she went, have you ever thought about going to rehab? Me, rehab? She says, well, I went. She says, "Uh, I, I went. She says... Went to one in uh, Aberystwyth. Uh, it's called, it was called Berserk, and it doesn't exist now, but which is a shame. Um, I was like, no. She says, why don't you get some time off work and go in there for three months? No, no, <laughs> no. She says, well, you know, she says, look at me. She says, I'm a couple of years down the line now. She says, I'm never cured. She says, but, you know, um, I was nearly dead, she says. Oh, right, okay. Anyway, things started to get bad at work. The sickness went in and... Um, Do you think people were starting to yeah, get on to you? it was really starting to get... Take its toll, like. Take its toll. And I got called in the office the one day by an absolutely lovely manager. Absolutely lovely. Turned out her father was in recovery. She oh. could see, yeah, she could see it in me. And she says, one day you're going to go away on a trip and you're going to black out or you're going to turn up for work piss and then you'll lose your job. You know? Wow. She says, this is the sort of thing that will happen. I've been there quite a few years by then. And I went on one day and I cried and cried and cried and I thought... Okay, perhaps I can go in rehab, but I can't go back to that job. I just cannot go back to that job. Booze in front of me. It's a social job. Um, and I quit. Yeah. I quit. I just sold my house because I couldn't pay the mortgage or whatever, which which was fine. I got a bit of equity off it or whatever. Um, still drinking. And I got in touch with this lady who'd been in Reserkin. Uh, who originally told me about the place. And within a week, I was in there. Wow. Uh, it was very strict. It was very boot camp, but done with love. Um, 
nearly every member of staff was in recovery themselves. Um, was it um, 12 step or was no, it? No, it was 12 yeah. step, yeah. Um, very, very strict. Um, <laughs> people used to come on an early release from prison and some of the lads and some of the girls who'd come on early release would go back to prison because they couldn't cope with it. <laughs> oh, God, it must have been strict. <laughs> but obviously, they wasn't ready. Yeah. They wasn't ready. That's it. Because you couldn't smuddle anything in that place, which obviously they could in prison. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> they wasn't ready. But on the good side of it, there were a couple of lads who were there when I was there who stuck with it. Uh, you know, they did stick with it. Yeah. And... Um, I went through it. We did one to five when you was there in the three months, one to step five. And there was a few things in that step five I know now I didn't bring up from my past. I skipped them. I skipped them. Yeah. Anyway, they didn't do a second phase then, reserving at that time. But they used to pass you over to another rehab. Um which mine was Touchstones 12 in Colwyn Bay to do a second phase there, or there was one in Weymouth, I think it was. And I went up to Touchstones 12 to do a second phase. I went with this big head. Oh, I've been in reserve and, and whatever. Um, I'm okay now. Um, trying to fix others. Um... Deflecting, isn't it? Deflecting, yeah. Still got them things from the past in my head that I hadn't shared. Yeah. Um, I was arrogant, absolutely arrogant. I was going to AA meetings up in North Wales, um, where the rehab was. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> I, I this, I that. And some of the old-timers looked at me as much to say, you know, <laughs> Massive ego. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was, was, there was one guy, and he's not with us now, he's guy, his name was Hugh, and he was a proper, proper North Wales in the mountains man. His first language was Welsh, and he was Welsh. Mm -hmm. And he got a po face on him, and I used to think, oh, I can't stand you, <laughs> or whatever. And he used to look at me and roll his eyes, with his because he could smoke in them days, and his cigarette, and he'd go, <laughs> and he took me outside the one day and he says you're a relapse waiting to happen oh and I went I've done my he says we're only one day we're, we're, you know we're only an arm's length away he says you've you've not finished by a long means ah he's talking through his backside that was my my opinion and I went I'd moved out of that second phase I'd moved into a little rented place in um, Conway. This second phase was where this place, this Touchstone Star 12, was where I met Marcus from Eternal. He was in there in the first phase. Yeah. Um, that's another story, which Marcus can tell you himself. <laughs> <laughs> but that's over the years, ups and downs, we've become very close friends. Um I've pulled him out of some deep holes. Let's put it like that. <laughs> but I'd let him just because that's that's how I, I got to you know. I'm a, he's really, really. He's like family now. Yeah. Anyway, I went to this meeting. It was um, a Sunday evening in Conway, 
and I wasn't feeling right. I just wasn't feeling well. And I walked in and everybody's sharing. And it was like echoing in the room. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. Completely checked yeah. out. Yeah. And I remember one woman looking at me and this guy, this Hugh, saying, are you okay? And I went, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I walked straight out of that meeting. I lived about, what, 500 yards away from that meeting. And I went into the local spa and I bought a bottle of vodka. Oh, no. And I hit it. I hit it. Went to the meeting two days later, crying my eyes up. Still drinking. I'd bought a few more by then. And then we knew Sunday night this was going to happen. Because you went back then? Yeah. But it still took a while. God, yeah. It took a while. So I'd relapsed. A few months later, um, I ended up hospitalised in Glencluid. Uh, I'd collapsed in the middle of a rill. A policeman had found me on the bus station, got me into hospital. Uh, they took me into A&E. Um, I thought I'd had an heart attack at first and obviously checked me out. And I remember this nurse looking at me and she went, come on, Adrian, she says, do you have a drink problem? She says, because we found bottles in your bag. There's a bottle in your pocket yeah. and the policeman found you. And for the first time in quite a few years, I said, yes, I do. I started to cry. Mm. And the things I should have shared in that step five, I started to tell her. Wow, really? Yeah, That's I started, I started to tell her. And she says, under normal circumstances, you know, she says that they'll want you out that door. She says, I've got to be honest, we need the beds. She says, well, because uh, you've been so honest with me, she says, and I've spoken to the doctor, we're going to keep you in and detox you here. Wow. The place where I went to do the second phase had heard what had happened to me. Um, I thank them for that because they asked me to go back there just for a couple of months, just to keep my head right. And I did. I went back there. It wasn't the best. It wasn't a proper rehab, really. But it, there was a little bit of um, stability there, yeah. shall we say. And I thank him for that. I do, I, I do thank him for that. And I went back there, I gave up my place, my rented place, and I went straight back to the meetings. I got my network, people had seen me. And I thought, I need a sponsor. I need a sponsor. And like I say, there was that guy in that corner, his name was Hugh. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was a miserable old, mm-mm, one swear on here. <laughs> And I asked him the one night in Conway. Oh, my God. And I says, can I be honest with you? And he went, be as honest as you like. I says, I couldn't stand you. And he says, can I be honest with you? He says, I couldn't stand you either. <laughs> he says, I detested you. He says, your ego. He says, but didn't I tell you that night that you hadn't finished yet? Yeah, you did. And whatever. He's no longer with us now. He, he died of oh. ill health. Um Whatever. I think he was about 33 years sober when he died. Wow. I went to his funeral, everything, and, and whatever. Um, now, that was just over 14 years. That was 14, just over 14 years ago, last October. Um, I do a lot of work, 12-step um, work. I do a lot of voluntary work. Um, not just with addicts, uh, 
just anything voluntary. Giving back. Yeah. Giving back. Um, I'm back cutting hair again from when, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. I love. I wouldn't want to go back flying. Um, it wouldn't have me anyway. Uh, I've got my pension saved from that because I had a bloody good pension, uh, which give me age away. I'm 56 now. Uh, I can now claim now. Um, so I didn't lose everything that way. Yeah. Which I could have done. I could have lost that pension, everything. Uh, the last 14 years, um, I lost my dad. I've had a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I've lost four family members in the last two years. Loved family members. Yeah. One was through addiction, my cousin. Uh, a favourite auntie and uncle, old age. Yeah. And my father, uh, old age. He died peacefully. Years ago, I would have used every single one of them as an excuse. Yeah. It's never even crossed my mind. I stayed out of pubs for a couple of years unless it was like a funeral or a wedding or something. Um, I'd keep myself safe. Um, still don't go into a pub unless it's with other people, you know, for a meal or whatever, or they want to drink. Yeah. But looking back at that, years and years and years ago, I wouldn't go anywhere that didn't serve alcohol. I'll be out shopping with a friend and she might say, let's go and have a coffee. <laughs> and I go, they do a lovely coffee in that pub there. <laughs> Make it an ice. Yeah. So, uh, so, well, she could have the coffee and I'd go, oh, well, while I'm here, it's, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I'll, I'll have a pint. <laughs> it's all that. Um, well, it's just, it's an obsession, isn't it? Yeah. So it's constantly, if you're not physically drinking, you're thinking about the drink, you're thinking about the next one while you're drinking that one, aren't yeah. you? constantly on your mind now I don't keep alcohol in my house because I live alone got a nice, a nice flat now everything you know got my car you know everything is settled back to normal yeah I don't keep alcohol in the house but if I had visitors like my mother or, or family or, or friends and they wanted to bring a bottle of wine they can sit and drink in front of me I ask them to get rid of the bottle take the yeah. bottle with them a lot of people say to me sometimes, do you mind us having this? Which I think is quite nice of them. Yeah, it is considerate. It is considerate. But my, I always say to them, I have the problem, not you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I've had a couple of people in the past, because I, 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 like I say, I help people. Uh, yeah. With bring problems. And they'll want to come to my house to talk to me, which I'm very careful who I'll bring back. Yeah. Occasionally, somebody will knock my door. Oh, can you talk to me? You're okay. And they want to bring the bottle in. No. That's that's not happening. Yeah. If they have a problem, they're not going to sit in my home and drink in front of me. I can't talk to the bottle. Exactly. You know, yeah. Even a mind-altering substance, if they want to snort coke or, or whatever. No. Because one mind-altering substance to me will probably take me back to square one. Yeah. You know. I know I have the choice whether I pick it up or not, but I'm still, um, I know I was a pain in the backside when people used to try and talk to me when I was drunk. So me talking to them and um, I am a patient person, but sometimes I get a little bit when you're trying to carry the message and I hate, yeah, I know, or yeah, but that really 
<laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, if you know them, why are you asking me? And you'd know better than anyone because you've actually experienced it yourself. You've been through it firsthand. Exactly. So you know there's no use in chatting someone when they're in a state like that. Yeah. It's, it's talking to the bottle. I call yeah, it talking to I the bottle. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, you know, I will bend over backwards to help people, but sometimes I have to give the tough love. Yeah. Um, I am a bit sharp-tongued sometimes because... I'll say it as it is. And somebody will say, well, you've hurt the feelings. But I'm sorry. Sometimes you have to hurt the feelings yeah. for them to get the message. Um, like that guy says to me, once you, you've not finished yet, that hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> but it was bloody right. It yeah. was right. You know, um, I was in a meeting once and a lady came in who's relapsed and relapsed and relapsed over the years. God bless her. And she's still with us. And she's she's getting there now. And she came into a meeting one night and she she was in a mess. She was in a terrible mess. She started to cry and she actually says to me, how do I look? And I said, you look a bloody mess. <laughs> well, some of the older women turned on me. Oh, you shouldn't say that's cruel. I went, she's asked me a question. I've told her the truth. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I said, has she taken offence to it? Well, no. I said, has she burst into tears? No. I said, but that's probably sunk into her head now. I Definitely. Said, What's the point of me saying to her, uh, oh, you look wonderful? Exactly. You know. Um, and she started to get well. I will never apologise for telling the truth. Yeah, I have to be careful how I say things sometimes. Because um, I can be quite abrupt. Yeah. <laughs> with it but I'll still say it in a cutting way to sow the seed to get the message yeah in. to get it to sink in yeah. really it's like when I walk around Colwyn Bay I'll see people that have been around years and years and years and, and relapse after relapse and they'll say have you got a couple of quid and I go no I'm not giving you any money oh well I need it for gas or electricity and I go you give me your card and I'll go and put it on well of course you we know they're not going to give you your yeah, card. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't want to put the, they want the money. Yeah. Or they'll say, oh, the fridge is empty. I've got nothing in the fridge. I'm starving. That's fine. Come with me into Morrison's. You pick what you like off the shelf and I'll pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> not booze. I'll buy people fags, but yeah. not booze. You know. And nine times out of ten, they'll walk away from you because they want. I would have worked exactly the same. Yeah. You know, uh, manipulation. Uh, whatever you want to call it. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. We are the master yeah. manipulators. Yeah. And it's not the fact of being cruel, it's the fact that I don't want the world to be the one who buys them that bottle. That's the one that kills them. Because you know exactly where it takes yeah. them. Yeah. Because you've been there yourself. It's enabling them. Yeah. It's enabling Completely. them. Completely. Yeah. You know, I, I love every human being on the earth, if you, if you know what I mean. Not yeah. literally, but, you know, everybody has a right to live. Um, but I will not put the poison that would kill me inside somebody else. I, I, I am not being held responsible for that. Yeah. But if they, if they want food, if they want gas or electricity or, or you know, a bill paying, if I, can, if I can help, I'll help. Yeah. But I will not hand over cash. No way. No. No way. 
Um, like I say, life's good. What do you do today? You know, like on a daily basis, have you got a like little routine or anything like? I go to the gym a lot now. Do you? Yeah. Is that like your therapy? Like, what yeah. what keeps you in a good headspace? Uh, I've got a cat, <laughs> <laughs> which I adopted three years oh, ago. A little nice. uh, morph, his name is. Cute. Um, I've got my little garden that keeps me occupied. Uh, I've got a little palace if you're on the flat. It's yeah, just a little... it's just the way you like it. Yeah, just the way I like it. Um, I'm always out. I am always out somewhere. You know, I don't live in meetings. I might do one meeting a week. I should do more. I should do more. I use the excuse now because I've locked down. There's not so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sometimes I'll think, oh, right, I've got to, I've got to cane a few meetings this month and wherever. And then I might, I'll go mad for about two or three in that week. Depends what frame of mind you're in, yeah. I suppose. what frame of mind. I mean, I'm always on the phone to somebody. Yeah. Um... Do me voluntary work. Uh, the gym. Now, that started three years ago. Uh, I'd put on a lot of weight. And uh, he's, again, judging a book by its cover. I used to see a guy in Colwyn Bay run a little gym at the time. It was a little tiny gym above a pub, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> he rented a room above a pub. So he had to walk through the pub to get up there. It was proper spit and sawdust. And I used to see this... What I thought was an arrogant little shit <laughs> running this gym. And somebody says, oh, he's a good personal trainer. He's brilliant. I'm he's arrogant. And I put a load of weight on. Is that, is that from, like, because um, what I found early recovery for me, like, I'm craving a lot of sugar. Yeah, contentment. And, yeah. yeah. And I thought, oh, God, I'm getting old now and I'm, I'm putting some weight on. And I stopped him the one day in the town. I says hello to him and whatever. And he says, oh, I says, you run that little uh, gym, Max Gym, it's called. I say that now because it's a bigger gym now. It's, it's in a nicer place. He's, whatever. I says, uh, do you do uh, personal training sessions? He went, yeah, I do. And he looked, <laughs> he looked me up and down and I went, why are you saying it? He says, no, 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 no. He says, I'll do any age. I says, well, can you get rid of some of the weight off this old git? <laughs> and he says, it's not me who gets rid of it, it's you who gets rid of it and I'll tell you how to do it. You listen to what I say, you follow me. And anyway, I started. And then I started to go to some of his classes, rough and ready place, you know. I was the oldest one in there. And within five months, I've lost four and a half stone. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that's just like, from your own hard yeah, way. yeah. It was just absolutely... I still go to him now. I only go once a week to him. Oh, that's lovely, though. Yeah, for a PT. Yeah. The guy's moved on. He's got a boxing gym now and everything. You know, uh, he's done really well. He started a family since then and whatever. No, I thought he was an arrogant little shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it, it, it's absolutely... Well, he's actually just turned professional. He's a professional boxer. Wow. As well. And... We've become like friends. Building like relationships with people that you'd yeah. never imagine that yeah. you would. It's, well. And I used to see that what I thought was an arrogant scally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who helped me again um, build another phase into my recovery. Yeah. Start my health, start losing the weight and whatever. You know, I, st I still want to lose some more, but I have put a little bit back on. 
Yeah, but um, we, we, we'll never we're never happy are we no it doesn't matter no. how if we reach our goal we always want that little bit more exactly um, but again uh, judging books by covers and a bit like I did when I first went got taken to that AA meeting yeah oh it's going to be people with string gold in the trousers up Whatever. Or the and librarian it, woman, there's no way she's an alky. Yeah. She's just saying this, just make me come back to the meeting. She's a plant, class. she's been put there. Yeah, yeah. But a mole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do remember uh, when I, I brought up about tough love and, and speaking your mind, I do remember one meeting in Wolverhampton and a woman came in one morning, she just burst in with another woman with her, and they'd been to court. And this woman came in screaming her head off, absolutely frantic. And the meeting carried on, but the chair, which she was just carrying on, like she, she didn't exist. And I'm thinking, God, that's a bit rude. And this woman who was crying went, they've taken my kids, they've taken my kids. What she'd done, she'd been to court, one of the members had been with her. Yeah. And then she brought her to the meeting to get it off her chest. And she said, they've taken my kids, and this chair of the meeting went, good. Maybe you'll learn from it now. At least those kids are safe now. And I thought, you horrible woman, you know, whatever. She was giving a tough love. Yeah. That woman got her kids back eventually, the help and the support she got. And I remember saying it to somebody once. I said, you know, you just, she went, why get the Yankees out and give her all the love? She's got to have tough love. Yeah. She's been coming to meetings a long, long time now. She knew this was going to happen eventually. Yeah. If she carried on what she was doing. And when she's coming and says, I've lost the children, that's why she said, good. Not good for her, but good because those children are safe now. And this is a wake-up call for And this for is a wake-up call for you. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, AA and, and NA, it's not everybody's cup of tea. But it works for me. And that's you know, what's important. Yeah, it works for me. You know, I mean, I know there's there's thousands of ways out there. There's different different recovery groups. There's different whatever, and I can't knock them because I haven't tried them all. Yeah, you know what I mean. But that works for me. And uh, and what I like about AA and NA is you're talking to the professionals. Yeah, because we've all been there. That's we've it. all been there. The proofs yeah. in the people. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a textbook, and I'm not knocking anybody from any service that, that helps alcoholics or addicts. I'm not actually knocking anybody um, who hasn't been there. I call them textbooks. It might sound a bit rude, but, yeah, they're good. They can give some guidance, uh, the counselling, etc. Yeah. But I still think the real professionals are those who have been there. Oh, 100%. I yeah. agree with you there. If yeah. you've lived it and, you know, lived it, that's it. You've yeah. experienced Isn't it. Because no one understands addicts like another addict, do you know no. what I mean? You can't. No, you it's can't. impossible. Is it, is it like me, is it like me say, say a guy had had testicle cancer and me saying to him, oh, yeah, yeah I know how you feel. Well, I don't, because... Fortunately, touch wood, touch yeah. my head. <laughs> I haven't had it. But that's human nature. We say that, oh, yeah, it's a show. Yeah, oh, yeah, it must be terrible. I know you feel... No, I don't know how he feels. Yeah. 
And that would be like somebody saying to me, oh, yeah, I know, but they've never had a drink in their life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or they've never had a drink issue in their life. Um, so that's the professionals. But, yes, we do, we, do, we do need outsiders who can steer us, you know, for the housing issues, the, the counselling issues and whatever. There's a lot of good frontline people there, but the true frontline is the person who's been there, in my eyes. Yeah. In my eyes, that is. In the trenches with you? Yeah, totally. exactly, exactly. Uh, it's like I, I, I volunteered for one service that was guys who got PTSD, ex-forces personnel. I've never been in the forces. No. You know, never PTSD. But I used to go there and cut the hair at their groups and have a chat and whatever. And they love that, you know yeah. what I mean? But never once did I divulge into their PTSD or their military backgrounds because I don't know anything about it. Yeah. I was just, they can share to me, but never once did I say, oh, yeah, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Ooh. I was just there to cut the hair. They're having it for free. They're, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're meeting and listening, listening to the conversations around the room. And that's, that's why I like open meetings sometimes where people um, who haven't got an issue can turn up at a meeting, a family, a loved one, even a member of the public. Yeah. They don't participate, but they can sit and listen and understand. Yeah, they get to observe. Observe. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a brilliant idea. Well, it is because it gives people a better understanding Standing. and knowledge to what this insidious And that's what he did with me with these forces, guys yeah. and girls. You know, that's, that, that's what it did. So it's like learning. But never once could I actually say to any of them, oh, I know how you feel. <laughs> being there. Yeah. But I can provide a service for them. Yeah, and that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So, but that's me. Well, <laughs> that's amazing. You've got what works for you. Yeah. Your life seems full now. You know, you've got a lot going on. I feed your soul, like with your gardening. Yeah. You've got, we've all got our different ways of doing it, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. And there is a life out there. There, there is a life out there. Um, I've got, uh, there's one thing I'll bring up now. I've got a nephew who's been in recovery longer than me. Wow, really? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adam's in his 30s. My brother, my brother started uh, early in life having children, should we say. I've got a nephew, 44. <laughs> um, <laughs> But Adam is the youngest of the three lads of my brothers. Uh, he's in his 30s. And uh, he was a naughty boy. He uh, he sold drugs. Uh, a long, long, long story. He was in and out of young offenders centres. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was a horrible piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> and... He got into big, big, big trouble. Uh he got a massive supply of a certain substance found in his flat. And I'm not talking a couple of quid. Yeah. Wouldn't grass anybody else up, you know, the old um, uh, gang-related thing. And he was looking at a five or six-year stretch. Wow. Uh, he got an addiction issue himself, drugs, alcohol, you know, he, he admitted it. And he went to court Um 
and the solicitor says he's going to get a big, big stretch. There's, there's no, there's no digging your way out of this. Anyway, he got a good social worker. Believe it or not, he had got a really good social worker, and they put a plea into the judge. He went on for a few weeks, and it was to send him to a rehab in Western Supermare, but give him a suspended sentence instead. And it was adjourned, and it come back, and the judge passed it. But the judge did actually say to him, if there's one word of insubordination in rehab, if you do not stick the rehab, um, we're going to have um, two weekly reports come from there to see how you're doing. Yeah. And whatever. You'll do the five years. Oh. <laughs> he got in the car when he got sent out to court uh, in some social worker's car. And my brother and his, his ex-wife, Adam's mother, looked at each other and went, we we'll give him a day. That was, what, 18 years ago? Wow. That is amazing. He's married. He's got children. Yeah. Lives down in Bath. 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 Wherever you want to call Bath. <laughs> and whatever. He's got a really good job. Um, lovely children. Completely different character. Wow. And it, it, it sounds strange. I've got a nephew who's longer in recovery than me. It's not amazing, yeah. though. Yeah. You know, like what it can do for you. This and program. this is where I get a lot of youngsters who'll come to me in their early 20s or even in the teens and they'll go, oh, but I'm too young. And I, and I, I tell them a little story about my nephew who was in his early 20s yeah. then. You know, and they go, really? And I go, oh, yeah. I go, he was a horror. And he used to say that, oh, you know. I says, and he went to that rehab and he stuck it. And that was a 12-step yeah. place. I bet you that inspires them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. So how many years are you now, Aid? I shall be 15 on the 28th of October. That's fantastic. It's a day of time if I make it. Yeah. Day of time, innit? Yeah, day of time. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what's around the corner. But all I ever say to myself is, it wouldn't matter if a load of terrorists burst into my family home, God forbid, (laughs) and shot all my relatives dead... I've got to say this, that is still no excuse for me to use or drink. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. Some people could go and say, oh, yeah, I need a glass of wine. I need a you know, a fix after that. Get it to be trauma. I'm not saying I wouldn't. Yeah. But there's no excuse. That's still not an excuse. There's no excuse for me to drink or take a drug. No excuse. I can't because once I start, I cannot stop. Yeah. And that's why I always come in. Some people think they're cured. That's entirely up to them. I'm not going to criticise them. I'm never cured. You know, I can speak for me. I'm not cured. But I will say I've seen a lot of people over the years or witnessed a lot of people who have thought they've cured. Oh, I just have a glass of wine every weekend. I just have the odd snort of Coke occasionally. Within a couple of months, they're back. Yeah. They're back. And unfortunately, some of them are no longer with us. You know, and that, that, that is so sad. And the saddest thing that I ever see is those that are left behind, the loved ones, who have tried everything in their power. Yeah, because we don't. When we're in the madness, in addiction, you don't. We don't realise what we do to our loved ones. We don't realise the hurt. Yeah. I still shiver today. I've made all my amends. Yeah. I have made all my amends. 
well, to those that I know. <laughs> that I can remember. <laughs> that I can remember, like family and friends yeah. and old neighbours and, and things like that and whatever. There's, there's probably people out there that I've harmed. I'm not saying harmed as in physically, but mentally or verbally or, yeah. or, or stole from or, or whatever. Um, but I still sometimes... Um, Think about, you know, things I said to my mother or to my father or whatever. Cruel things. Yeah. And whatever. And it does haunt me. It makes you cringe, but, doesn't yeah, it? it makes me cringe. the same. And although they've forgiven me, you know, and it's gone. But there's one thing I won't do. I won't ever let people throw things at me. Yeah. You know, oh, I remember you 15 years ago when you were... I made my apology to you. I've done it once and whatever. Yeah. I will just say it once more time. Yes, I was sorry for that. You're not talking to the same Adrian today. And that's amazing that you yeah. have that um, frame of mind. Yeah. Because if you can't let go of things, you know, when you've made your amends, the worst thing we can do is dwell on things. Exactly. Because then that becomes an excuse then, doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, even if I feel myself going to tell a lie, we're all human. Sometimes someone says, oh, did you do that? No. Oh. And I stop myself. Yeah. No. Just say. That's it, because then that way your sides of the street, it's yeah. clean then, clean. isn't it? Your conscience yeah. is clean, You've, you know. Yeah. You know, the old behaviour will kick in sometimes. It will, you know. The, yeah. The little thought, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> you laugh doing? about it now, yeah, then yeah. laugh at yourself. Yeah. That's it. Um, I had a problem a few years ago with a neighbour and she was a nasty, cantankerous old, I won't say the word, <laughs> and she was horrible. She was a bully, an absolute bully. Uh, and she used to use her age and her vulnerability. Oh. And she knew, but she knew what she was doing. Yeah. I won't go into it too much, but after a few years, I don't live there now where, where, where it was, after a few years... One day she really says something nasty to me because she, she wasn't like me, anybody. And I let rip. <laughs> I let rip. I let a few years out. And I, I did say quite a nasty few things. Truthful. Yeah. Truthful. And she exploded. She couldn't stand the truth. She exploded. <laughs> I still felt a bit bad uh, about it. Um, but it cleared it cleared. I moved away from there in the end. Yeah. That's another story. But somebody did say to me once, they says, have you ever looked at your part in that? And I went, yeah. I didn't nip her in the bud from day one. Yeah. Because she'd always says horrible things to me and she was, uh, she ran out on cold. She'd be nice one day, she'd be horrible the next. Uh, she was a bully. She, 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 she was a, a sheer bully. Is. Yeah. Now, I should have nipped that in the bud from day one. Please don't speak to me like that. Yeah. And I didn't. I used to let it go because of her age and because, oh, you know, I don't want to make waves. Yeah. So I was being dishonest in a way. And you, But you think you convince yourself that it, it'll stop or yeah. that's that, I'll just leave it and, yeah. you know, it won't happen again and it just clearly... Well, one day, one day I'd, I'd, got, I'd got a toothache. It was just when the lockdown started, the very first time, and I'd got toothache. And luckily I've got a, I've got a decent dentist. And 
I got in touch with them and they said, well, we can't fit you in till Monday because of lockdown and we're only doing six patients a day. And this was on a Saturday. <gasps> and I got the toothache from hell. And we had a shared drive, me and this past neighbour. Oh, and she'd always got something to say. There was, there was always something. I won't, I won't even go into it. And it was a Sunday and I went out to the local shops. I got toothache from hell and I thought, I've just got to keep myself busy until I get that appointment in the morning to get this tooth yeah. looked at. And I walked up the drive and I says, good afternoon. I said her name. Lovely afternoon, isn't it? You know, the pain was coming out. Oh, and she gave me a mouthful. <sighs> and I put my shopping in the front door and I came back out and that's when I let rip. <laughs> Yeah, it was the toothache as well, I suppose. It was building up every It was building up, and it just come out. I had to call the police in the end. The reason was, (laughs) and I'll admit this, the reason was she was kicking my front door. She was She just, how dare you speak to me like that? Who do you think you are? She wouldn't give up. Of course, social distancing had just started there. And I thought... Old behaviour was kicking. I was thinking, if you're, if you was a bloke, I would knock you, spark out, <laughs> and whatever. I couldn't, I couldn't eat an old lady. Well, no. she probably deserved it, but I shouldn't say that. But you, you, <laughs> no, you know, but um, yeah, at the time in that situation, what, what are you going to do? You know. So I opened the front door and I said, "If you don't remove yourself, I said, I'll throw a bucket of water over you." I said, "You know what happened to the wicked witch of the west?" <laughs> oh my god! It just come out. Of course, she went even berserk. And I thought, what can I do? So I found the police, and fair enough, a, a, a young Bobby came round, and he spoke to her, and he told her to keep away. Bridget come in my flat, and he says, oh, good God, I see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but she's history now. Don't yeah. wish her any harm, she's history and whatever. She's probably bullying somebody else now, but, um, yeah. But I do look at that. I'd allowed that to happen and build up for years. And you know what else you don't we don't think of like me myself as well like with these like life on life terms situations you're gonna bump into people you're gonna cross paths with people that you don't get on with yeah and for whatever reason that may be you don't know what's going on for the other person, person as well exactly and like like what you were saying about nipping it in the bud before. At the time, we don't take any of this into consideration, do we? No, I should have nipped in the bud from day one when she first started, previous years. I should have took her to one side and had a chat. If it didn't work, it didn't work, but at least I'd done it and allowed it to build up. Yeah, totally. You know, but, um, oh, actually, (laughs) there was a few of the neighbours who live across the road, and one was a retired headmistress. And she went, oh, God, that was wonderful entertainment for a Sunday afternoon. She said, <laughs> she says, I've never liked her. Right, <laughs> <laughs> someone's day. <Yeah. laughs> it is hard, though, dealing yeah. with situations yeah. like this, especially, you know, when you're in recovery. Yeah, I apologised for the language to the to the other neighbours yeah. or whatever. They went, oh, no, she just, you know, she deserves it. She's been waiting to do that for months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's me. That's... We done? Yeah. Just want to ask you one yeah. more thing. You know, for people who are out there and they're still struggling, what bit of advice would you give them? Never be afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of people out there. Um, if you're struggling, 
First thing you've got to do is admit you've got a problem. Be honest. You know, it's like it's, it's, it's a bit like me going to the doctors and I've got a chest pain and let's say it's severe and the doctor goes, well, where's your chest pain? Oh, it's, it's all right. They can only diagnose you with what, what you say. Yeah. It, it's like when I used to go to the doctors years ago, how much do you drink? Oh, I have a couple of pints. Yeah. <laughs> Automatic. It just comes out. You, you're deflecting away from it. Yeah. Be honest. Never be afraid to ask for help. There's plenty of organisations out there. Um, never feel alone because there's plenty of us out here who've been where you've been. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of numbers you can ring. There's plenty, uh, plenty of services you can drop in, in in some of the cities. Yeah. Go to an AA or an NA meeting. They'll always make you welcome. That's it. They'll always make you welcome. You don't have to. You don't have to keep going there if you don't want to. That's entirely up to you. Yeah. And whatever. But I, I, I'll, I'll just point on that. I met a lady years ago who is a real top counsellor. Yeah. She's about forty years in recovery. Wow. And she's got her own counselling. Really, really. She told me a story where she was living on the streets down in London. Wow. And she had a drink problem. Yeah. Problem. And she was actually selling herself for booze. And she got pregnant. And she says, I sat in these ladies' toilets on the steps the one day. She says, and uh, I was like, oh, God, I'm pregnant, um, you know. Uh, where's my next few pennies going to come from? She's not all these people going into the meeting across the road. She's I used to see them all the while and think freaks. <laughs> she said, one lady came across the one night. She said she knew that I was pregnant. She says, come and have a cup of tea. And she went, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. She went, just go and have a cup of tea. Wow. She says, within a few months, I got a hostel somewhere to live. Um, the daughter that she had is a GP. Wow. Oh, my God. Help. She had got a problem with drink. Isn't it amazing yeah, that, yeah. though, asking for help? And when I used to look at this lady, I used to go, that week she went, oh, yeah. She says, I used to sell myself. That's the so, way it takes us, though, yeah, isn't she's it? She's not got pregnant. She doesn't know yeah. who the father was. She said, my daughter is now a GP. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Literally, though, like... Yeah. When I was first, like, in recovery and, like, you know, I was out of the treatment centre I was in and I was, I'd was i moved out for the first time on my own stuff. When people, like, I got sick recently, I, I got COVID, and the amount of people that were reaching out, doing, getting me shopping, coming to me yeah. flat, you know, checking on me, I've never had that before. I've always pushed people away. And because these people are my friends, it's genuine. Genuine. And I believe it yeah. now. And if... Yeah, just ask for help. People really do care and people want to see you get well and people want to help and yeah. it, it's amazing. This Asking for help yeah. is a big one. Free of charge. Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> and if, if people are helping you, it's, it's helping them because it's making yeah. them feel good, helping others. Yeah. And the payment I give back is I help people now. Yeah, yeah. and that's amazing. Do you have sponsors and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
I hate this sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be doing your job though exactly. if you didn't. Exactly. That's brilliant. You know. Uh, but also they help me. Yeah. They help, I mean, I've got a sponsor, but they help me because sometimes I think, did I just say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep you in chair. Yeah. You know, it's like I used to go to meetings sometimes and and we do get it. You get somebody who'll share and you think, good God, that's a load of rubbish. And you'll hear it sometimes and they're going on about the same thing for years and years and years. Uh, next door's dog's pooed on my garden. Oh, God, is that, is that all you've got to worry <laughs> about? You know, and you hear it and you're like, oh, my God. And my, my old, old sponsor, Hugh, used to say to me, he says, when you hear a rubbish share, he says, just go to them at the end of the meeting and thank them for the share. And I went, yeah, well, I didn't like you. No, because you've learned how not to be. That's so true. He says, and it makes them feel good. He says, all right, it is a little bit false. Yeah. He says, but you, you are genuinely thanking them because you know how not to be. That's so right. You know yeah. what? You learn something from everyone, don't you? Yeah. Whether it's how you, you want to conduct yourself yeah. or how, as you've just said, how yeah. you don't want to conduct yourself. He says, and you don't know what's going on in their head anyway. Yeah. They might have mental health issues. They might, you know, that's why they repeat themselves. That's or, so right. or what, yeah. He says, but you saying that is you're giving them a lift. Yeah. And they know that somebody's listened to them. <laughs> yeah, and for you, it's thanking them for, you know, thank you for wasting me time so, because yeah, I know yeah, exactly yeah, how I don't yeah, want to be. Yeah, but yeah. It works for everyone. Yeah. Another one I always do, and I, I, do, I do say to a few members, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't really, but it's one that does irritate me a bit. You'll get a newcomer coming. You do it, somebody will do a main share and whatever for a newcomer. And then you get people coming in and they go, oh, yeah, I'm 10 years sober, but uh, next door's dog uh, pooed on my garden. And, oh, oh, I felt really rotten the last few days. And, oh, oh, the doom and gloom. And I'm like, can't you save that for your sponsor or for the break? Yeah. That person needs to hear some positivity in that room. No, I get you know, that completely. Yeah. Because if I'd have heard somebody say the 10 years and then they're complaining about the way the wind blows or the litter in the street, I think, well, if that's 10 years, I might as well carry on the way I am. Yeah. Do you understand? You yeah, know, totally. Picking a negative out of everything. Yeah. That's just me. No, I, yeah. Do you know what? You've got to pick nuggets from different. Yeah. Because, say, if it was a negative meeting and then there's that one share or you know like share back that's like they can get something from just one thing even yeah. if it's one thing like they say don't they in the rooms focus on the similarities not the differences. differences so if they could just get one thing from that then the job done in it yeah but when you hear somebody and they get their oh they put everything on the table everything all the doom yeah <laughs> all the doom about daily problems and then you're like, you haven't once said how you got into recovery or how life is good for you in recovery. Yeah. And that person's listening to that and it's their first meeting. Yeah. Yeah, they might think, God. Yeah, that's when you have to step in then and yeah, share. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I, I do come in and share. I don't say to the person, that was a load of rubbish. Yeah. I, I might take them to one side and say, oh, come on, did you really have to go all through that with yeah. that new girl sitting there? Yeah. <laughs> And sometimes people will go, oh, yeah, I've, 
I wasn't aware. Well, that's it. Again, yeah. it's that yeah. people have got things going on. Because yeah. you do get wrapped up in it. We all get wrapped up in ourselves, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I'm finished. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming in and talking to me today and just listening to your story and that. Well, thank you for having me. I really feel honoured. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, good luck with you. The next 24 hours, we always say 24 hours. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Brilliant. If you've been affected by any of the topics in this episode, please reach out to a trusted contact or seek a professional for support. I really enjoyed chatting with Aid. He's a real character and says it how it is. It's nice to get a different perspective on things. Join us next week where we have the larger than life Rachel in the bunker. And we talked about her battle with heroin addiction. And despite all that life has thrown at her, she still radiates positivity and can put a smile on anyone's face. Thank you for listening. See you next time.